The Incomparable. Number 436. December 2018. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. And in this episode, we're going to be tackling another movie having its 50th anniversary this year. Of course, the classic 2001, A Space Odyssey. We covered that already. What other movie from 1968 could we possibly cover? And the answer is, it's a Planet of the Apes. (laughs) Joining me (laughs) to talk about Charlton Heston and his girlfriend who he names, which is kind of weird, and uh, lots of apes, are the following primates. Uh, John Moltz is here. Hello. Hi. It's (laughs) great to be here. I I think your math is off, though, because if that movie is 50 years old, then that means that I'm... Oh. Mm. (gasps) (laughs) I need to go now. (laughs) Gene McDonald is also here. Hello. I'm here to face my... Childhood fears. I'm that old, yes. <laughs> Joe Steele is here. Welcome Help. to the club. Hello. Hello. Uh, it's it's always good to be on a podcast episode with Roddy McDowell doing a, a fun voice, even though I couldn't be on for Black Hole. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We got it. We got this one. We got it. We got it. Got it covered. And David J. Laura is here. Hello. Jason, would an ape make a human doll that talks? <laughs> Sorry, it was a doll quote. I had to do indeed, it. Indeed, indeed. And uh, and I I had meant to start this episode by saying, and that completes my final report until the podcast begins. I placed it on full automatic, and in six months we'll be back in the future of whatever is left on planet Earth. But until then, I'm sure things will be just fine. Because uh, that's how this movie starts, is with Charlton Heston on his spaceship that doesn't have a name. Uh, but it's a cool spaceship, and he's leaving his uh, his thoughts about uh, these because I mean it basically it's time dilation, which is a real thing um, in this enormous cheesy intro that happens. There's, the time dilation <laughs> is real; you go close to the speed of light, and time doesn't pass as fast for you as it does uh, back on Earth, and that the many you know, hundreds or thousands of years could could happen on earth while you were on a you know a few year space mission that part is right um and there's a lot of questioning about whether the theory of relativity is accurate or not early on in the movie but it is they get that part right and we get charlton heston as taylor who is the commander of this mission and his uh his uh crew is has gone to sleep in their little capsules and he's going to go to sleep too but first he has his uh little uh soliloquy that is super that is super cheesy about time bends, space is boundless, it squashes a man. Ego, I feel lonely. <laughs> <laughs> that delivery is not great. No. 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 <laughs> no. It's the movie really wants to think deep thoughts. I don't, I mean, he's he's obviously, he's a, he's a very talented actor, um, but um, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily come out in some of the lines in this movie. <laughs> it's incredibly clunky exposition uh, mm-hmm. that, he, that he's delivering about uh, setting up why they're on this mission, how long they've been gone. It's like a voiceover at the beginning of the movie, except we see the guy who's giving the voiceover. <laughs> and he has a cigar. Well, and, he, and he has a space cigar. cigar, which he lays down at one point, and I'm like, no, 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 flammable things on the spacecraft. <laughs> I'm convinced that's why the spaceship crash- oh, crashes. boy. Is because of the cigar. <laughs> yeah, but it is, yeah, it's it's super cheesy exposition. It is literally the voiceover being given by him, and so much time has passed. So before we even dive into the rest of the movie, I, I, I think this is a point where we have to talk about one of the mystifying things about this movie, which is 
I, I haven't read anywhere that this movie originally had a different title, but one of the things that I find confounding about this movie, um, first off, it has the ending, and we'll get to the, you know, the big ending that everybody already knows about, which apparently Rod, <laughs> Rod Serling wrote. He's credited as mm-hmm. one of the writers in the mm-hmm. screenplay, and it is a Twilight Zone-esque ending. Um, I, I think what's interesting is that this long, maybe they lulled us to sleep with his long speech because the long speech explains pretty clearly as well as his little glance at the chronometer on his way out when it's uh, in the water of that this is the far future. And and so I think you can mm-hmm. see it coming. The part of the movie that really grabs me, though, is the fact that we don't see any apes for about 20 minutes and the movie is really very much like ooh what could be on this planet it's a mystery and I thought didn't when you walked to the theater didn't you say could I have one for the planet of the apes please like the movie is called the planet of the apes I don't know why the movie spends 20 minutes 30 minutes keeping you in suspense about what they might find on the planet it's apes but he didn't know that I know but we know it (laughs) I wonder if I wonder if part of the reveal though is the uh, is the makeup could be because it was yeah, kind of a big maybe, deal yeah. back then, yeah. and in yes. showing them as as being like you know okay it's not just like I mean I think if you watch if you watch some other movies of that era that include apes mm-hmm. it's just like a you know some poor chimp some poor smoking chimp that they have <laughs> that they drag <laughs> or around it's, or it's like the Samsonite gorilla yeah. <laughs> yes so I think maybe it was that I don't know I'm just trying I'm trying maybe. to help out here I think they needed to keep that first view of the apes though even though we knew it was coming. It had we bought tickets or had we bought it on iTunes, we knew <laughs> yeah. it was coming. Yet, you know, you didn't know what it really was going to feel like. And and they they lulled us into this sense of like, oh, it's an adventure with astronauts. It will work out somehow. Um, <laughs> it doesn't. No, it won't. It doesn't work out very well. Uh, I, I guess what, what I'm really saying is that I find the beginning of this movie kind of moody and interesting, and I like it. I just find okay. it also kind of baffling that there's so much time is spent where they are philosophically musing about where they're going and what's going on. And then, then there is the sort of survival in the lake and in the desert and all of that. And I'm thinking this would be much more suspenseful if I didn't know that the movie was called Planet of the Apes. I guess that's what <laughs> I'm really saying. But I think it's, I think it's good. I, I think it's there's actually that moment. So they crash and there's that, there's that like helicopter shot of the spaceship in the water and mm-hmm. i thought to myself mm-hmm. i i you know we've seen so many especially like low budget sci-fi movies from the 50s and 60s uh for rocket surgery on on the incomparable that i had that moment mm-hmm. where there's that helicopter shot and i was like oh they spent money on this movie it actually it actually <laughs> looks pretty good it, like they went to lake yeah. powell they got a spaceship yeah. in the water they got a helicopter to do that you know mm-hmm. big swooping shot around it and i i think the spaceship looks cool and i think the spaceship in that lake out in the middle of the desert is really uh is really awesome i like how it looks well the construction of the set for the spaceship leaves something to be desired oh, you mean the, clo- the a- lingering close-ups of the terrible buttons on the spaceship joe yeah like you can you can see the, where the like inset panel is joined to the, the other panel yeah. because they're like zoomed in so you can read numbers on it it's okay i guess i mean you you can do this cheaply because you've got a helicopter going in you're not compositing a uh you know like optically cutting out matting um a, a rocket flying into frame or anything like that right um but uh i i still don't find it as effective because it still looks like you're on sped up helicopter footage um where it's just sort of swooping around rather than a rocket descending um so it it's 
It's it's okay. Uh, but my <laughs> my my big thing with this is it, it's really dull at once they actually escape <laughs> because there's nothing there. There's li- uh, literally there's there's a very there is that big scene where they find that one plant and they all dig it up and go. <laughs> I was promised there'd be apes. Where are the apes? <laughs> Planet of the geraniums. And then, they, and then they yeah, so they find one sign of life and their first instinct is to Kill dig it, it up. <laughs> Kill it. Kill it. No. Destroy it with fire. Yeah. yeah, it's all it's all dusty, empty, lots of walking through the wasteland. Joe, when I was talking about how the, the stuff that looks expensive, it's it's not when they're flying in. It's it's that that shot after the spaceship is crashed. After it's and then, crashed. And then yeah. when they're like on the on the cliff looking back at the lake and all of that, I was like, oh they they spent some money on real locations and 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 it's not I, super ultra yeah. low budget it looks kind of interesting but they do wander in the desert outside of lake powell arizona for a long 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 time yeah yeah i mean as the, the mystery science theater people would be saying walking but i think they do i think they do a decent enough job with you know i mean obviously they're cutting a lot of corners here and making you imagine a lot about the crash but they do it without like showing some cheesy fake spaceship flying in and landing in the water. And I think that's a better way to go if you don't have the money mm-hmm. to do it. And, you know, nobody other than Kubrick had the money to do it back then. So do it, do it that way instead. Yeah. What well, was, it was the director who was like, we need to sort of save money. And, and that was why the book is this futuristic ape society. And this is, you know, and that's what Serling uh, wrote was a more futuristic society. And, and they, they yeah. p- took all that out to, to save money, which is, which is totally true. But they did, they, they did get to go to, uh, to Lake Powell and take all these, all these, uh, <laughs> kind of pretty shots of them wandering through the desert there. Yeah. And the, the, the scenery well, is, is really nice. And, and the, you know, it goes on a bit, but I found it kind of interesting because of the idea just that these are people who were already prepared to, to, uh, you know, not come. They're, they're going to come back to a world that they don't recognize, and everybody that they know is dead. And I, I, I thought that was interesting, right? Like psychologically, who are yeah. these people? Um, and of course, the the lady astronaut it does not make it out of the spaceship. She she died in flight, and is just a. Uh, we get a lingering shot of her as she's sleeping. And then we it's get because of the cigar. And then we get a lingering shot of her skeleton. <laughs> and, then, yeah. and then and then we're out of there. And the other three guys then wander wander in the wilderness. Yeah. I, and yeah. I what I what I would have liked is some more of they 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 don't really like talk for a lot of this, and all the talking is just basically Charlton Heston berating Landry left and right. <laughs> right. M- mocking. <laughs> He's a really motivational leader, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was just like, how did you get put in charge of this mission? Like, I wonder, I wonder what That's the story is question. there. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I think the, the, the perception I got is that he, he uh, yeah, he's... He's keeping it real, but he's a gigantic jerk, and yeah. they, they they seem to have found some people who were fatalistic enough to get shot off into space, knowing they were never going to come home. Essentially, and I don't understand the point of this mission. Right? I mean, like, really right? unclear. Like you're, you're going to get shot off into space. We're never going to see you again. Yeah, you're going to go like thousands of years into the future. We won't find you know any science or anything back from you because we'll all be dead. And um, there's three guys and one one. <laughs> like, yes. So good luck. Good luck working all that out. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure. I'm not sure what what science they were hoping to accomplish with this mission. It was a really interesting. I think like you know for the 60s when it came out like this notion of 
the hero of the movie is going to be this big jerk mm-hmm. and he's going to be schooling them in basically like, you know, mindfulness <laughs> Uh, approach to life which is like hey we're here and it's now and that's all you need to know and you know stop asking me what year it is or how far away from earth we are because it doesn't really matter which you can't argue with like i said my note says that he's keeping it real but he's also a jerk and i think that's i think that's right like i don't disagree with the stuff he's saying but he's such a jerk to his like they're literally Mm -hmm. they could be the only three humans left alive and he's just and and he's the commander of this mission and he is not even trying to be nice to them he's just uh he's calling it like it is as they as they wander around in the desert for as i said it's a very long time that we spend wandering around in a desert in a movie where I was promised apes. (laughs) (laughs) And it does make you question like NASA's uh, psychological, um, you know, uh, testing. Off-brand NASA, isn't it like (laughs) NASA or something? It's just like literally they rearrange the letters and they're like, no, it's totally different. I don't know what you're talking about. I kind of like to imagine that if they had walked, like he just makes an arbitrary decision to walk in one direction. And I kind of like to imagine that if they walked in the opposite direction, they would have found the Logan's Run Dome. Oh, nice. I was going to, yeah, a gleaming, a gleaming futuristic city left by, that yeah. is run by humans. And yeah, I consider, I consider this possible. I, I've always thought it's possible that those two things are in the same universe. Yeah, Logan's Run is over there. The New York <laughs> mm-hmm. is over here. You can, but then you have to escape from it. And right. uh, the planet of the apes, it's not, it's really more of a peninsula than a planet is over there. <laughs> Peninsula of the Apes doesn't sound as good. Yeah, it's the ape area, area of the apes, but they think it's the whole planet. Enclave of the apes. Gated community They literally are on a peninsula, and at the end of it is a forbidden zone, so they never leave it. So they, for all they know. there's not that many apes. It's not that many. (laughs) Although, you know, and I know there have been like whole movie franchises devoted to how the planet of the apes could come into existence. Uh, You know, this, the the original movies and the the new series of ape movies both address that issue. I always am struck by the fact that it's this uh, fascinatingly diverse cross-section of apes because it's like, gorillas, we got them. Orangutans, you betcha. Chimpanzees, <laughs> you know it. I'm like, okay, all the apes, I guess. Planet of every ape. That's all the apes there are, right? And, but, and they're all varied, they're, but they're, they're pretty stereotyped and incorrectly <laughs> yes. stereotyped based on actual apes. Yeah, well, it is. There, there is clearly. So, one of my notes for later, and we might as well get to it now because why not? Is uh, is what is the deal with ape racism? Because yes. I have a hard time believing that ape society isn't like totally stratified along racial lines. That if you're an orangutan, you can do this, and if you're a chimp, you can do this, and if you're a gorilla, you're a guard, basically, and that's all you get to. That's all you get to do. But as a gorilla, you get to be the scariest uh, apes in the movie, like when they show up, that's the gorillas. And like, you know, going back to my, my kid vision of what Planet of the Apes was about watching it now, I was like, Oh, I didn't remember that the orangutans were actually in charge. Mm. I remember the gorillas, and they were scary. And because, you know, they they do that first raid. And that raid is, is killer. Yeah. But yeah, well, they don't, they introduce the general in the next movie. And he's, he's, pushy and and is kind of in charge i mean it's like zeus has to like give in to his whims in order to mm-hmm. like invade the <laughs> right but in this, in this movie there's 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 none of that so okay so they they find a waterfall it's very exciting 
um, there because finally there's water and there's lush there's lush uh, you know foliage, which is great. I did have that moment where they were just so excited to see water and thought you got, you guys landed in a lake, right? You know that, right? Right. <laughs> right. I, I had, you didn't have bottles. It was a bad lake. It was a bad lake. It was bad water. Clearly, clearly. <laughs> and then we get to see uh, some excellent scenes of uh, naked astronauts frolicking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then when their clothes yes, are stolen, stop. they run through the bushes in strategic ways so that we <laughs> see that they're naked, but we don't see, you know, details. How naked. Because it's How... the... Although, what? I think if you slow it down, I'm pretty sure you can see whatever it is that they're wearing to cover themselves because <laughs> it's not that carefully orchestrated there but we do get to see that they're frolicking what i do love about this though is that uh charlton heston had been barking at dodge every five minutes to test everything they came across mm-hmm. and then they get to this and they're just like oh it's water let's just jump right <laughs> <Yay>. in <laughs> it's just like yeah, you guys didn't, you didn't even test that one yeah <laughs> he hasn't tested the air before they could jump out of the capsule and i kind of wonder what would have happened if they had said it's like it's poison it's raining acid outside well they had that moment where they're like well, we've got three days of food. Uh, I hope we find some. It's like, well, yeah, otherwise you're going to die. That's, yeah. So start walking in that direction that I picked at random. Okay. No Logan's mm-hmm. run for you. <laughs> they're, they're all over 30. Don't trust anyone over 30, by the way. I think there's That's a right, connection yeah, no, there. That would have been bad. The ape law is also in, in force in Logan's run, apparently. Yeah, there may, not be, there may not be a good way for them to walk in that No, maybe not. World. Maybe not. All right, let's take a break. Let me tell you about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom of the Apes. No, just Pingdom. While you have been listening to this episode, how would you know if your website went down? Would you know if customers couldn't click your Buy Now link, access your content? You might find it by luck. Probably, though, you would get it via complaints coming in through email or Twitter or something like that. That's no good. You need a system. You need something to tell you that everything is running smoothly on your site. You need... Pingdom. Pingdom will let you know the moment your site goes down in whatever way is best for you. And they're smart. They'll get the information needed to solve the issue sent to whoever needs it, whether that's one person or your whole team. They're dedicated to making the web faster and more reliable. They use more than 70 global test servers that emulate visits to your site, checking its availability from everywhere as often as every minute. All Pingdom needs is your URL and they take care of the rest. Don't risk being the last to know about something on your site breaking. Start monitoring it today. And it's easy. Go to pingdom.com slash Snell right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required, and you can find out for two weeks without paying a cent whether your site is up or down. And when you sign up, use this code Snell, my last name, at checkout, and you will get 30% off your first invoice. That's awesome. Thank you to Pingdom for supporting the incomparable. Now, back to the Planet of the Apes, in which our heroes have finally reached uh, some people. Um, but they don't think that they they they're they're mute. They they don't think they talk. And then there is a uh, a hunt, and they are hunted by uh, by apes on horseback. Who and then there's a lengthy scene where they're kind of chased around, and and the astronauts are trying to to not get killed, and that doesn't work out that well for one of them. <laughs> uh, and mm-hmm. then they end up all being kind of captured and and thrown in in a cage. And this is our first kind of big. Uh, big action set piece in the movie and it's also our opportunity to see the apes for the first time mm-hmm. i really like the hunt scene because as i said i i found the the previous moody stuff to be kind of boring mm. but uh <laughs> th- this picks up the pace and it shows you that there's there's going to be uh lots of 
uh, lots of complicated issues for Charlton Heston to deal with for the rest of the film because uh, this sets up how he's wounded so that he can't speak, uh, which delays a lot of his progress while we get to know our our, uh, our chimpanzees that he meets. But um, it's it's a it's, it's you know it's the 1960s. It's well shot and paced yeah. uh, for for that action. Yeah. I was looking at some of the trailers, you know, original trailers for this movie and of course that scene is is very prominent in the trailers and you could see why because it's it, it's kind of epic, you know, for 19 1960s aesthetic that you just have, you know, these these shots from above and you can see what's happening, but from the people's point of view, you can't tell what's really happening and there's horses which made me think, when is there going to be Planet of the Horses? Mm. Because <laughs> I feel like the horses have gotten a raw end of the stick. <laughs> I, th- I thought it was interesting. The first thing an ape says in the movie is smile. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're taking that creepy picture over the over the dead bodies of the humans that they've just captured. This is 1968. This is, uh, it is a little Twilight Zone-y, Serling's influence. I would also say, mm. though, this is like, um, I was watching it last night and my wife uh, came in. She's like, are you still watching Planet of the Apes? I'm like, yes, I am. I am. I, <laughs> is it safe is it, to come no, in now not. or not? I'm still watching I, But what I said to her was, this is basically a Star Trek episode. You know, Planet of the Nazis, yeah. Planet of the yeah. Romans, and this is Planet of the Apes. And it is... Uh, you know, it is a 60s science fiction movie in the sense, too, of this social commentary stuff, which is so. So mm-hmm. in the hunt scenes, we are seeing uh, hunting and trophy get- getting and the horrors of of hunting from the perspective of mm-hmm. people, because the people are being hunted as animals. And this leads into a bunch of stuff that happens in the in the cages and stuff, where it's very much about animal rights at an early stage. It's 50 years ago. And even animal mm-hmm. testing, because there's the horror where they're like, we're gonna, yeah. we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do experiments on you, or we're gonna, we're gonna put stuff in your eyes. Like, they very specifically address kind of animal testing issues. And that is, it mm-hmm. is not even a little bit subtle, but I did have that feeling of like, oh, this is this is like a Star Trek episode taking on an issue like this, which is, haha, we've turned the tables. How do you feel about this issue now? Which I kind of <laughs> like. From it, it's a it, you know, it's it's yeah. very yeah. old school, well, yeah. but I kind of like it. This notion of these cocky gorillas with their let's take a picture of us with the dead people, humans. They call them man a lot. And I'm like, yeah, well, yeah. 50-50, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, this is like around this time when people were starting to find out about the My Lai massacre in Vietnam. Like, you know, people already knew Vietnam was, was very, very messed up from this point of view of like people not taking the humanity of others mm-hmm. seriously. Yeah. So... In the in the civil rights movement and things that and were that going as on, well. and, yeah. yeah. And the funny thing, like I watched the, um, the I've got the box set of all the movies, and there's like a documentary mm-hmm. about you know where they interview a lot of the cast and some, of, and, and apparently so Z- Zanuck was I guess the was running the studio at the time, mm-hmm. and um, he he said he claimed he did not know that it was any kind of an allegory for anything. <laughs> <laughs> It's just a science fiction movie. Why does politics about? have to infest perfectly enjoyable <laughs> ape movies? Every time I've seen Zanuck interviewed, it yeah, he does not come off as the brightest bulb in the box. <laughs> That's a really good back, you know, behind the scenes. It gives yeah. a really good 
good detail into the making of this one, but also the making of all of them and how they mm-hmm. there there is kind of a weird arc to why the story goes the way it goes. It's yeah, mm-hmm. great. Yeah, and in this, and he mentions it in the in the documentary. But in this, I'm starting to watch the second movie now because I got into it after watching the first one, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, guess you know, in for a pound, <laughs> might as well. Um, and uh, he talks about how overt it becomes in the next movie. It's much more right. like there's like a sit-in and, you know, the <laughs> militarism you know, of the gorillas is much more pronounced and all this stuff. And so it is a little bit more like, okay, now we're going to beat you over the head with it. But it's still, I think it's still interesting and still... You know, like you said, yeah, like Jason said, it's like a, I mean, like a Star Trek episode. Yeah. It's doing the same Ha-ha, kind of thing. the tables are turned now. How do you like it? Right? Which is, I mean, that's putting yeah. putting the shoe on the other foot. Having you change your perspective is a thing that science fiction is very good at. It's one of the things I loved about the original Star Trek is that they would do these things that were yes, kind of broad and obvious to some, and also not to other studio executives. Mm-hmm. The idea that you are, you know, <laughs> like oh, you're seeing this from a different perspective, and now at, when you drop your preconceptions because there's a little layer. Even if it's the thinnest of layers of metaphor, then you then you maybe will process it and be like, oh, hmm, maybe I, I my view of this is a little maybe it's a little more complicated than I thought it would be. And I like that about it. And 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 I hadn't really thought of it that way. It's been ages since I saw this movie, but it's it, it pushed all those yeah. same kind of Star Trek buttons. And when it when we get the yeah. I mean, really the apes <laughs> posing with their 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 kill and their capture in that moment mm-hmm. is saying a lot about dehumanization. It's saying a lot about hunting. It's, it's, you know, all these things. And the horror is like, Oh no, it's, and it's not like the most dangerous game where it's people hunting people like messed up people. This is a, uh, we are being hunted by another race of, of creatures who consider us fair game for that. And that's just extra right. horrifying that it's been, you know, you're, you're not considered uh, uh, at the same level as them. The trophy was man all all along. (laughs) You draw that parallel because as a kid, the action figures from both of these shows, from both from the Planet of the Mm -hmm. Apes movies and Star Trek were the same size and basically the same molds. I mean, they were made by the same company. (laughs) Yeah, they were all made by Mego. I had like in in our playroom at home, I had like an ape city. You know, I had the tree fort. And and then, of course, you know, of course, Captain Kirk shows up. Of course he does. (laughs) Did he come in the Barbie Winnebago? Because that was the same scale, too. (laughs) No, I did not have that. (laughs) I like to imagine that Captain Kirk and Dr. Zayas were having adventures in the Barbie Winnebago drive around the country writing wrongs <laughs> be a good buddy movie <laughs> also speaking of uh trying to think of this as as a uh, an allegory and all that the the chimp scientists give him a nickname which is i very much like when we name animals which is yes. we just name them based on like something on, on the uh, just flight of fancy or maybe something about them physically. And so Charlton Heston is given the name Bright Eyes, which uh, which the the ape scientist refers to him as throughout, which uh, is is super memorable. Uh, I think is I think is a, a great choice. I love that she call, calls him Bright Eyes with affection, right? But as an animal, which is right. that that duality that I think is really interesting in this movie. And um, it also means that every time I hear uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart, I think of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, remarkably bad funny. at nonverbal communication. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, the the choice to have him not be. I would like to think that I would be able to make the point that I I am intelligent and can and can understand what people are saying without actually having to speak. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's he's like, okay, apes. I'm not going to even. You think I'm an animal? I'm going to act like an animal. And then he's like, oh, this isn't working. Maybe I should try another another tech. But it's because yeah, it's the ploy. The plot is has been set up where it's like, oh, but he can't talk, so they don't realize that he's he's uh, intelligent for a while. Um, and it's a little silly. I mean, they, they get there, right? He eventually uh, kind of mimes behaviors and sort of proves himself. And then and then like literally he just he just takes her her notebook and starts writing words. Yeah, starts <laughs> it's writing like, oh, notes. he can write. That's OK. That's more intelligent yeah. than we really even expected that, that he can actually write things. But I, I do like uh, that him not speaking gives us plenty of screen time for uh, Kim Hunter, Azira and uh, uh, Ryan McDowell as uh, Cornelius mm-hmm. to uh, establish themselves as characters because they're coming into the movie very late. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. we also have the added remove of not understanding their their culture and positions. Um, but we pick up on that stuff pretty fast when they're talking about work yeah. stuff uh, when, when they just he shows up uh, to tour the cages with her, which seems like a weird date mm-hmm. um, for handholding, but they but they do that. You don't understand ape culture, Joe. This is a very common first day watching the human. <laughs> and maybe not. You don't understand scientist yeah, culture. You because... just go down to the zoo and watch the human cages and just hope that the humans yeah. don't throw poo at you. The yeah, well, there uh, it is. You get the sense. Also, they're kind of of a type, which is useful shorthand here. There's they're nerdy scientists. Uh, idealistic yeah. nerdy scientists who happen to be chimpanzees um, but they are they're good characters for people who are in masks which are not not great they're but they're not bad they're, they're you know the the mouths are, the yeah. mouths are not flexible at all so there's a lot of kind of just up and down but I'd say I'd say way more expressive than um than I remembered given that this is 50 years ago mm-hmm. now. Um, yeah. and, and and the fact yeah. that you can make memorable characters out of so many of the apes. I mean, honestly, because Dr. Zaius is like this, too. Like, they are memorable characters, and that has to da- down to some of the oh, physicality, yeah. and it's the voices, and it's the fact that, that mm-hmm. you do, you know, they do enough with the, the ape suits for, for you to believe that Zira and Cornelius and Dr. Zaius are, are real people. Yeah. yeah, they were talking about how they in the in the documentary about how they had to ex- really exaggerate their facial expressions all the time and yeah, constantly sure. constantly be doing oh, yeah. something with their faces in order to reflect what they were you know going through or whatever because it was just harder to see because they had that extra mm-hmm. layer on top. Yeah, they were bar- buried under latex bits and pieces that were slowly glued on over them and then like basically a carpet uh, <laughs> gets applied. So that's a, that's a lot of stuff to act through. <laughs> You know, I have a controversial opinion, mm. which is, well, I don't know if it's controversial, but I haven't, because I haven't seen anybody say this anywhere, but I think Kim Hunter deserves second billing over Roddy McDowell. Um, he comes in later. He's not as strong as of a character as she is. And mm-hmm. she is kind of the hero after Charlton Heston, if you think he's the hero, you know, she's the second hero and, and Cornelius is a third you know, a, a distant yeah. third. And oh, absolutely. So, anyway, yeah. putting that out there that, uh, I, I mean, that. he, he was certainly, he was very famous, but she was not unfamous, you know, and, and she was, she had already, you know, done some major motion picture work, um, as well. And especially streetcar named desire, 
people would know who she was. And and I that's what I don't remember about this movie until watching it this time is that I always assumed Cornelius was the the sort of most important chimpanzee, you know, and he was running the show. And he's the opposite of that. He's the, you know, the, the, she has to con- continually mm-hmm. say to him, look, you know, show some strength, yeah. buddy. <laughs> like ha- take a, take a stand. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because I didn't remember it that way, you know, last time I saw it. Yeah. yeah I, I have to agree with that. Uh, she, like you said, she, she's she was an established actress. She won an Academy Award for Streetcar Named Desire. Um, so, you know, she 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 has a she has a more substantial role in this film than Roddy McDowell does. Um, but I still like uh, Roddy McDowell and what he brings mm. to this. I uh, like his skepticism. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So while I, I think I would agree with you that uh, Kim Hunter, maybe in terms of billing, uh, would would be above uh, Roddy McDowell. I, I still like. Uh, the both of them together yes and i think they had great chemistry oh yeah 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 Yeah. i think i think definitely the best chemistry that two chimpanzees who talk have had on film ever (laughs) (laughs) cornelius is he's a bit of a heretic right like he he's reckless but questioning and uh you know he would be okay with burning down all of ape society basically he's a troublemaker a little bit in a way that maybe she isn't she maybe is a little more careful but they make a i think they make a a a great combination and they're both undermining the whole society they're both kind of like that in their own disciplines perhaps because he he is like when you get to the archaeology part, he's very you know like look at this. This is his secrets know, are going to destroy ape society if they're allowed to get out. <laughs> whereas, right? whereas when when they're try, you know when she's trying to make the point that duh Taylor can actually you know talk and and form sentences and stuff like that, he seems like he you know he continually thinks it's a trick or it's you know it's bogus somehow that can't be real but that's outside yeah. of his area of expertise interesting basically they're both in different disciplines working for the same essentially working toward the same answer which is the truth about ape society which yeah. is all a fraud but they're both taking right. it from their own <laughs> from their own perspective yeah. i, can I see mean that. he does say to her like you know watch it you know what yeah. the direction you're going i'm gonna get my mm-hmm. head cut off mm-hmm. like let's back off of this you know and he does get i mean he gets gagged mm-hmm. at the end yeah no he's a, he's yeah. a, he's a troublemaker he's a he's definitely there's a lot of heresy in in, in his uh in his form <laughs> of uh in his chosen chosen field he could be a bit of error yeah that's a, that's what i think it is you have to get into his wheelhouse and then he's like so nope. i wanted to note another character in this movie which is uh we well we we should talk about uh taylor's uh, Taylor's girlfriend Nova, who he just gives. Speaking of giving people names, he gives her a name. <laughs> well, he was originally going to call her Bright Eyes, but <laughs> she doesn't talk because she's one of these humans who doesn't talk because people have evolved or devolved and they don't talk anymore. Um, but she's around. But I, I'm not speaking of Nova. I'm speaking of the guard in the uh, in the prison slash science complex. Julius, uh, I, right. I, I, lo- I love this character because. Even in an ape society, there's a uh, there's an aggressive New Yorker 
uh, as a guard <laughs> who's a gorilla. But he's like, I, I love it because I mean, he has a cigar later, and he's like, "Hey, mm-hmm. back off, buddy!" And he's just like, "We just made him a New York guard and an ape, and like, we don't care. You get it, right?" And I'm like, okay, this, this this ape is from New York. Well, he's he's in the New York area, obviously. Turns out, nobody beats so. the Wiz. Also, um, yeah. He, I kind of like the way I like, I like that scene where he's hosing him down yeah, and he screams at him. Like he's, he's, yeah. he's yelling at him, like, stop, what are you doing? They're taking Nova away from him and he's having, a, and, and uh, Taylor's having a fit. And then Julius yells, shut up, freak. <laughs> I mean, he reflects yeah. the rest of Ape Society. Like this is, this is this, what is this? This is unnatural. Oh. This is this crazy thing that, and I have to deal with this, and it makes me angry because it's challenging all of my preconceptions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this uh, is about the portion of the movie where we also get uh, because there's a lot of Charlton Heston talking to himself because the other humans don't talk, and he tells uh, to Nova he has a unpleasant conversation i'm going to say through fruit through modern eyes where he explains that Stuart, the one lady <laughs> on the spaceship was a lovely girl yeah. the most precious cargo we brought along she was to be Ugh. the new eve with our hot and eager help God. Yeah. again what is their mission here again what was the mission again <laughs> yeah right right and it doesn't seem like the scientists know much about genetics either <sighs> no like four people is not enough <laughs> No, no, I don't know what they were thinking, and it's it's gross. So he tells the story to Nova. Yeah. Fortunately, she doesn't understand anything, so it doesn't matter. She's not going to be offended, right? Right? Because she doesn't understand words. Uh, which, which you know, uh, I, I I think I'm going to object to the the term girlfriend because yeah. he yeah. just kind of yeah. takes possession yeah. of her, <laughs> right? For for the yeah. remainder well, of the film, there is not his his pet. There, I mentioned Star Trek, right? Like there is not a scene in here which could be in here. And for whatever reason, they chose not to do it. There could be the sort of animal attraction, uh, you, you know, words not spoken kind of scene between Nova and Taylor where mm-hmm. she's interested in him or he's he's hurt and and she she's concerned about his wounds. And and they, you know, but there's mm-hmm. just it's just not there. Like there's no, there's no moment where the music swells and it, they, they have this even though she can't talk that they make a connection. Nope. Just not there. No, yeah. he just kind of adopts yeah. her as his pet. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Mm-hmm. It's true. It could have been that that bit could have been a lot more nauseating. Um. <laughs> I mean, she was Richard Zanuck's girlfriend. So, right. oh really? Right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There yeah. is uh, the the run and jump chase. Uh, where Taylor escapes and there's a lot of action. It's another one of these big action scenes. He's running around in the the ape village, and uh, mm-hmm. and they uh, and it's you know a lot of stuff. It's pretty a pretty good action scene, and uh, and he's running from place to place and trying to avoid them. And they're on horses, and he's I kept waiting for him to jump on a horse and ride off, but that doesn't happen. Um, and then finally they ca- they <laughs> capture him, and we get that great moment where he says, "Take your stinking paws off of me, you damn dirty ape!" And everybody's like, <gasps> "Gasp." He breaks out of the, you know, human uh, cages because he's heard them discuss like, okay, they're going to take him to be gelded. To be gelded, right. You know, so there's like this very, I mean, throughout, as we've said, like there's this kind of heavy theme of of sexual potency and prowess and, you know, who, Mm -hmm. who does what and whatever, but that, that, 
that is he is not going to allow. Right. This is Charlton Heston, of <laughs> That's course, right. and he's not going to say, "Oh well, I, I wasn't." Gonna, I mean, there's only one woman here anyway, so I guess I don't care. Um, <laughs> and. <laughs> He he break he, he that's when he breaks out of the the and the the cages and then they have the whole running around scene so it's yeah. like the second you know running, running and around, jumping uh, and jumping and museum which was very important you know with all the dioramas yep. of humans. yeah I kept waiting for the gag where he was going to like pose in the diorama but that also doesn't happen no it doesn't I was waiting for that too <laughs> like I thought oh he's going to hide in one of them since since to I, apes, I, yeah they I thought alike. that I thought I for a minute there I remembered that happening but it's yeah. like it's not in there <laughs> like, nope. like oh yeah he's going to do that in a second and then he didn't do it yeah no. and, it, and is this where he runs he this is also where he runs through like the religious ceremony too so we get that sense yes. of the, <laughs> It's like a yeah. funeral. Yeah. yeah, I think that little that little kid is one of the oh. best actors in the movie. <laughs> it's like, wait, it's a man. Oh, it's man. A man. And, and that's where you get the sense too about how the religion is one of the tools that is used by ape society to keep everything under control, and how it parallel it parallels very much our religious uh, ceremonies and our religious uh, sort of like uh, accepted beliefs. And then there's that very weird scene at the towards the end of that where, you know, there's, I mean the gorillas are chasing him because they're the security people but then there's like this big crowd of chimpanzees throwing produce Mm -hmm. at him what is that (laughs) that's just uh, you know everyday uh people who live in the in the little village yeah i think so right and they they, this awful uh human smelly human has gotten out it's white liberalism (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly it they're look they're just economically insecure john (laughs) <laughs> oh man Too in soon. the village of the apes um <laughs> the the uh suburb of the apes sorry the uh yeah. I, I i like the other line the other charlton heston line that i really like is um is after he's uh kind of like captured and he's like it's a madhouse a madhouse yeah. it's great yeah yeah and that's that's after julius sprays him yeah. down right yeah i mean mm-hmm. that's that, that whole that whole scene is 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 good and also just like crazy like one of those things that you remember from this movie one of those lines yeah Yeah, it's really it's really good so now folks it's time to change gears a little bit because in ape society there are two groups of individuals those who investigate ape law and those who try the cases (laughs) of ape law (laughs) these are their stories we get the ape law ape law is referred to as by the phrase ape law which i i love i think that's the best um ape law the television series because that's how we refer to our laws human law it's human law. Yes, that's right. <laughs> we have to separate it from dog law. <laughs> it's totally different, dog law. Um, the Scopes Monkey Trial is basically the uh, the parallel that they do here. I mean, it is a, a monkey trial, but like literally it is evolution is on trial. They are disputing evolution. Ape society has been built up to say, you know, do not question these things. It can't be there. It's resistant to the scientific questions that uh, Zira and Cornelius are bringing up. And I think that's uh, again another really interesting thing this is when i have my questions about ape racism and the social stratification of ape society too but like i think it's really interesting that that you know science is on trial in ape society too that they're trying to use science 
this is not a different society, right? This is basically our society reflected back on us. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you have the added wrinkle of Dr. Zayas being both the head scientist and the keeper of the faith, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which which they they keep highlighting uh, a few times throughout, just in case anybody misses it, uh, that his two jobs are at uh, odds with one another. And mm-hmm. it's uh, on display in this courtroom where he's just like, yeah, no, uh, that can't be because of, you know, reasons that are written down somewhere but, but a lawgiver. Uh, arbitrarily yeah <laughs> lawgiver who gave the ape law yeah well i mean i always viewed that as being that, that of course the keeper of the faith is in charge of science because that allows science to be kept under you know under control like essentially mm-hmm. it, it is the church is able mm-hmm. to um oppress to suppress scientific knowledge and oppress scientists and just uh keep it all under control and that's that's what this ape society is and uh yeah. yeah, and Zayas basically knows. Yeah, right. I yes, mean, you know he he knows the yeah. whole deal for for the most part. He, I don't think you know he doesn't know the details, but he basically knows that the planet used to be run by. Yeah, humans. La- later at the cave, we get much more clarity on the fact. Oh, and actually, later when he has that conversation in his office with Taylor, mm-hmm. right. yeah, yeah, he tries to tries to like bribe him to to lie in order to. Yeah keep his his uh, fiction going that scene is amazing for a couple of reasons one is zayas is it is smoking well, cigar. well i mean <laughs> yeah, that's already been they, done zayas is um in that moment like he's basically treating taylor as an equal and i thought i find that mm-hmm. fascinating because in this you know you know we could say racist society where he he he, he is legally he is treating him as an an as an animal mm-hmm. I, I i got a very much sort of like slavery kind of power imbalance vibe yeah. in these scenes and behind yeah. closed doors mm-hmm. the person who is expected to maintain the power imbalance um is perfectly fine treating them as another human being or, or as another sentient mm-hmm. being because he knows that that's the truth but it doesn't matter right. because and he knows that uh that these are all lies and that ape society is hiding I- information and that science has to be suppressed and the forbidden zone has to be created all of these things have to be but behind closed doors Zayas is like uh you know treating taylor like a regular person and the moment that really got me this time that has never struck me before is uh taylor is overcome with emotion and says thank you for calling me taylor like he just right. he has been dehumanized depersonalized this entire time and and even dr zayas he like calls him by name and treats him like a person while he's saying you know you're gonna have to lie or i'm gonna lobotomize you it's fascinating yeah i think that's one of the things that i never remember very much about in this movie i remember all the th- things like it's a madhouse and you blew it up and all that stuff and that scene with him and zayas is really really yeah, good i like i mean yeah. if you told me there's going to be a really fraught scene between a, you know an orangutan and charlton heston where the, <laughs> yeah. where, where charlton heston is going to be brought to tears for being treated with um uh, treated as a as an equal essentially as as somebody worthy yeah. of yeah. having a name i'd be like that's that's kind of a tall order but it really is and 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 you also get the sense from that scene um that the issue here is that dr zayas is trying to hold together ape society i cannot believe i just said that but there it is he's trying to hold together <laughs> ape society they've got their religion and their suppression of science constructed in the forbidden zone all of this is meant to be a way for the apes to kind of like hold it together in a world that has, was almost destroyed by the humans long ago and they, and they are uh, part of this construction is to keep the humans down that's the twist in the movie right is the reason the humans are treated badly 
unfortunately and suppressed by ape society is because the humans are the reason that the planet is almost destroyed and that that's why they're yeah. doing it but um but in that moment you know I don't even feel like Dr. Zayas, and it kind of passes because he becomes more evil later on again because he is the villain kind of. But um, in that moment, it's like Dr. Zayas doesn't hate Taylor. He's just Taylor is really inconvenient. His existence is a threat to ape society because he's an intelligent human. Right. And and it's like nothing personal. It's like you just can't be here. You cause your existence here is uh, gonna overthrow our society and that's that's my problem with you and i think it's really it's really interesting yeah. that that's the dynamic yeah. between them the right i mean because this this story diverges so drastically from the source material other than the fact that there are apes and humans in it but and you know some sort you know sort of a rod serling-esque ending to the book as well but it, there's so much packed into it in terms of American political situations. I mean, so Michael Wilson was one of the writers on this movie who was blacklisted. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, he had worked on Bridge of the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia and like a whole bunch of really good stuff and gets blacklisted and had to go to France and like write in France for a while and, and then, you know, comes back and gets put on this ape movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so it's no wonder why it's probably pretty good, you know, considering the fact that it's a stupid sort of science fiction movie involving a planet of apes. Yeah, I do like uh, uh, Maurice Evans uh, acting as Dr. Zayas. He's very understated. Uh, he's not yes. shouting and throwing things and uh, uh, going over the top with it. Uh, he seems like somebody who's doing his job and uh, who has a, a sort of a very purposeful way of going about it. Uh, so mm -hmm. I thought he did a good job. And uh, I didn't realize that Maurice Evans is also Maurice from Bewitched. Uh, so he's that's a that's Samantha's oh, yes. father. Oh, I did yeah. not know that either. Oh, interesting. Yeah. interesting. I, I did have that moment where I was like, who is again? Because you can't see the faces. So it's like, wh whose voice is that? Yeah. Right. As as a child, I mean, my mother trained me to pay attention to to credits because she was like, here's here are these people and here's this and that. And and so I saw the name and I thought, no, that can't be him because he's so, you know, patrician and wonderful and bewitched. And here he is as an ape. That doesn't make <laughs> yeah. sense. And but yeah, it's the voice. It's totally the voice. Well, I think the one voice like that totally comes through for me, like that I just stopped looking at the character was James Whitmore, you know, Right. Yes. Total James. Yeah. Whitmore. Yeah. When the when the the because he's the like the the chief uh, president of the assembly. Yeah. When the, he started talking, I was like, oh, I know that voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so you probably have read this story about Charlton Heston not recognizing Kim Hunter at the premiere because they had never <laughs> acted together. And that bugs me, actually, yeah. because I'm thinking, but she did win an Oscar, you know? Charlton. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. You'd think that he would know her from that. Yeah, yeah. But she was just the, yeah. the chimpanzee he worked with for a while. Well, and I've heard this, I've heard this story before too, that they, and they told this in the documentary, but I'd heard it, you know, years and years ago about how, and they tell this as if it's some, I mean, it's a very weird story to tell, but they talk about how like all the extras would come in and they go to the commissary or whatever, and all the chimpanzees would sit with chimpanzees and all the gorillas would sit with gorillas. And they sort of tell it like, isn't that a charming anecdote? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's like, no, it's horrible. <laughs> It's like you mean all they have to do is put masks on people, and people are going to start treating each other differently. That's yep. terrible. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, okay, so then the movie takes us off to the Forbidden Zone. Hooray and beyond! Woo! It's very exciting. 
Um, they find proof in the cave. This is where uh, Cornelius is archaeology and he's been doing some digging and this is where it all comes uh, together. They find proof in the cave, uh, including the, uh, the, the the doll, which is that big twist. David, it's a doll with a twist where the doll talks <laughs> and it's that moment where the doll says mama and it's like why would there, why would an ape make a talking human baby doll? And that's, right. uh, that's the the proof that the, the humans used to talk and that the, the this is where the the backstory is slowly getting uncovered and Zaius admits it, right? Like I got all the information from the lawgiver, the scroll. <laughs> There's a good, another good Star Trek moment, which is the, uh, where Zaius says to, to, uh, Cornelius, surely, you know, the scripture of scroll 32 or whatever it is. And he's like, I know, I know, I know that scroll of ape law. Of course we all know it, uh, about how man is the harbinger of death. And yeah, mm-hmm, it's, it's in there. And, uh, and that this is A.S. again saying, look, you're not going to prove this to me because I get it, but I can't allow it to be known. Um, I do enjoy the standoff where they do the the, the gorillas ride in and they, they have Cornelius hostage and they're they're like trying to sh- the sharpshoot down and Charlton Heston is picking off gorillas up on the hillside and yeah. and, uh, and yeah. then they get them to kind of like back off and all of that. I think that's a that's a fun scene, and also when they leave at the end, I like that moment where the gorillas are like, "Oh, we're going to chase him down now," and Zayas is like, "No, no, 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 no. I it's a, we made a deal. Let him let him go. He's gonna he's not gonna like what he finds. Just let him go." Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's good, but I, I like the scene, and I, I the doll is creepy, and the and the the standoff is interesting. And that was a screen test. That was like one of the original screen tests um, for the makeup. And I'm trying to remember the actor who played Zayas, and I can't. Um, he was a very famous actor at the time, and um, you know, if I could think of his name, everybody would remember it. But I, but I, I'm blanking on it right now for some reason. But um, but it was but that most of that was all there. And, oh, it was Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, 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 Edward G. Oh, Robinson. Wow. Um, and the, including the doll saying "Mama" and them all being like, "What's that?" And James Brolin was Cornelius in the screen test. Oof. Oh yeah, 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 oh, really? yeah. Those, and yeah. They have they have some of that footage in the documentary. Ah, cool. Yeah. yeah, it's really weird. <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, the, the 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 makeup is not quite <laughs> fixed yet. <laughs> yeah, this is that moment where we get the like you're the reason man is man is bad. You you're the harbinger of death. That's why this is a we we suppress humanity and I'll let you go. Yeah. Um. And you know. Uh, I feel bad for um, for Zira and Cornelius because they they don't get to just ride off on a, on horseback, right? Like they have to go back. No. They know the truth, and they have to go back to to ape society at the end here. Don't we all? Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, ouch! <laughs> and the kiss. Don't yeah. forget the kiss. You're so damned ugly. Famous. <laughs> so damned ugly. That is, that is, yeah, that is adorable. I love that a lot. It's a great Speaking line. Speaking of Star kiss, Trek. Kiss the chimpanzee mm-hmm. lady. She is disgusted by you, but she, you you will kiss her anyway. <laughs> she kind of likes it. She's into it. She, she, come on. You, you, yeah. Even, even, even the chimpanzees can't deny Charlton Heston's. <laughs> just uh glory his animal yeah, magnetism that's exactly right his, that's right it literally is animal magnetism so they ride off and then we get our our classic uh our classic moment which was in that rod serling draft and they kept it in um and it has become one of the most famous uh famous final moments in movie history it is uh they they there was we get a montage of them riding along the beach for a kind of a long for time a long it's very time. much like 
Um, it's it's a it's about like two minutes, but it seems longer. Mm-hmm. And it very much is the movie saying, "Hey, remember when we wandered through the desert for a long time earlier? Let's yeah, let's." Right take you back we've been riding for 12 days and we've gone one mile (laughs) what is with this horse (laughs) this horse is broken it goes on long (laughs) enough that i had that moment of like should they be showing them like making camp and then breaking camp like or did or did they live like that's one of the things that the movie leaves unstated is did they ride for half an hour did they ride up the coast for an hour was it five days we don't know but eventually they get to a place where we see and there's the shot from over the shoulder where we see the kind of like fantastic the, the, the shot. part of the, the uh the of the um the, the torch and then there's the part of the crown and then we see that final kind of matte painting uh from the other angle where it's the Statue of Liberty in a ruin and uh, Charlton Heston famously collapses into the sand uh, as Nova looks on kind of not really understanding what the hell he's doing saying oh you blew it up damn you all to hell did it yep and that's our twist is it was Earth all along you finally made a monkey out of me the culprit was man all along It's this series. I mean, particularly the first two films are so dark, and um, like the second one is is even is way darker. Uh, and w- what's crazy is it was rated G. Beneath the Planet of the Apes was actually rated right? G when it came out. Yeah, right. I because I went back and we watched some of the trailers, and at the you know I was sort of watching it out of the corner of my eye. I was doing something else, and it was like, and at the end it said rated G. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> These like just showed James Franciscus getting machine gunned to death. <laughs> And Victor Buono is a mutant, and, and Charlton Heston blows the planet up. And yeah, what yeah. The but the, hell? that ending is so like is so like a part of me now because I grew up with that, and 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 I was so into this whole series as a kid because particularly like, between Star Trek and Star Wars, the that was a real dark period for science fiction. Sure. And mm-hmm. as a kid who loves science fiction, it was like, okay, I got to latch onto this thing because at least, yeah. at least it has something going for it. <laughs> well, so. the other thing that's kind of interesting is it's, it's surprising that it was always so popular because unlike Star Trek and Star Wars, it's a real downer. It's Every really, yeah, one it's of really them gets darker yeah. and darker. And yeah, they made, they made five movies in six years yeah, it was with each budget crazy. getting smaller and smaller. Right. I always chose to take the last movie as like, okay, take that ending as it's written and seemed to be sort of uplifting um, because I've seen a lot of like people do like, well, these chronologies of the, of the planet of the apes world and, and no, it loops back around and things break down and then Charlton Heston arrives again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, and it's, and it's weird because so the guy who wrote the second, third and fourth put in a treatment for the fifth but then he got ill, so he didn't actually write it, or, and, and they threw out his thing because it was still dark. They were like, oh, we mm-hmm. want something that's a little uplifting. Yeah. yeah. And But it's not uplifting because, yeah, you think about it and you go, nope, right. it's still going to happen. Time, time yeah. is yeah. a close It's like 12, 12 monkeys, right? It's like not really uplifting. Right. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like all those things happened yeah. and it was bad and everything is terrible. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah. Have fun, everybody. Roll the credits. Roll the credits. <laughs> go home, what, So what fascinates me even more – so. I, I always was fascinated by the fact that they made all these movies because it, it from the remove of, you know, whatever, 10 years later as a kid, I, I, I kept thinking like, 
really there how many planet of the apes was it really popular enough for them to do it but it was you know successful enough for them to franchise it and and plow out you know five of these movies but now i think about it and i think how amazing is it not only did that happen but then in the 21st century first they get tim burton to try and remake the movie um and then that doesn't work and then they let it sit for 10 years and then they're like you know we're gonna do a we're gonna do a a, we're gonna crawl back a prequel series about how the ape planet comes into being which are uh generally all well thought of right so it's like that seems unlikely too that they would be successful with reviving the planet of the apes as a franchise in 2011 through 2017 but they they were let's let's uh wrap it up with uh with our our final kind of feelings about revisiting this this film this 1968 film uh after having viewed it for this podcast joe uh, overall thoughts about planet of the apes uh i like it it's of its era um it has problems uh in terms of agency for the women and stuff inside of the 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 picture but uh and pacing uh the first 20 minutes are very boring to me and kind of (laughs) sloppy and expositionally weird but i i I still like it it has a weird avant-garde uh score by jerry goldsmith oh the jerry goldsmith score i you know, I, I read oh, that yeah. in, 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 <laughs> yeah, in Wikipedia, that. it says this avant-garde score, and I was listening to it and thinking, I'm sure it was more more shocking then, whereas now it it, it feels like a, a little bit of a quirky movie score, but not like totally insane. It's, it's a... Uh, I like it though. It's 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 cool. I I didn't know it was. It didn't sound like Jerry Goldsmith to me at all. But I, I like the score. I think it's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely not uh, the symphonic uh, no. stuff that he's known for. It, this is no. God. This is uh, click 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 yeah. apes. So yeah. I think that's the part that makes it avant garde. <laughs> yeah. Um, Gene, what did you think about revisiting the Planet of the Apes? It w- was really interesting to me because I, as I've uh, indicated before. You know, this coming out when I was a kid, like, just seemed so scary on top of everything else that was going on in the real world. Scary. But uh, but I didn't see it because I was only eight years old when this one came out. Um, but for some reason, my parents dropped me off at the theater with my sister to see Escape from the F- Planet of the Apes. And that traumatized oh, wow. me forever. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Uh, can imagine that. Anyway, to... I had seen, you know, I'd gone back and seen this original film, like probably watching it with some friends like 20 years ago or whatever. I hadn't just sat down to really watch it and pay attention to it. And it was way better than I, you know, I remember or expected. And, um, you know, yes, there's there's little quibbles you can make about various uh, aspects of the film, but it's it's a great science fiction film. And I do like real good science fiction. So. The eight-year-old in me was, you know, got into that and forgot about being afraid of nuclear annihilation. <laughs> for, for a minute until, right. <laughs> until the next movie came out. Right. David, what about you? It, it still hits all those nostalgia things for me. I mean, it was just a thing when I was little, right? And it, it did scare me as a child. I mean, it was a few years before I was born, not by much. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it was it was ever present because all the sequels were coming out, the show, all that stuff. And and so, yeah, the, the masks and everything kind of put me off. And, and when I did finally see it, it was like, wow, this is actually an entertaining movie. This is 
interesting and and it has a brain in its head it yeah it is of its time it does have little weird things but it really hits that twilight zone doing a trek story vibe Mm. for me and and you know those are two of my favorite shows of all so of course i like it despite charlton (laughs) (laughs) so john you uh have the box set so clearly the planet of the apes is a favorite for you Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, this as a kid, I I think Star Trek, this and Lost in Space were like the three things that I clung Mm -hmm. to. And and this is they all have their problems, really. But I mean, uh, this one is a very weird thing to think about. I mean, it's there's a lot of the so many of the themes are well, I guess, I mean, Star Trek has some themes that are adult, too, but in a much more toned down kind of way. I mean, there's you know if, if you keep going in this series it gets really gross <laughs> <laughs> and um and you just go to the next movie and it's just it's really violent and and literally everybody dies at the end i mean at least you know as far as you know so it, it's strange that i think about that now and still think like i had fun playing with these action yeah. figures <laughs> like i saw the movie i knew what happened in the movie and yet i still like just played with the action figures well, the 70s was a strange time the 60s and 70s were a weird time where there was the you know let's make this for kids even though it wasn't really for kids because we did the black hole right. episode right. where it's like there was a disney color coloring book of a movie where uh uh, a character gets cuisinarded through his chest, right? Like, enjoy enjoy the <laughs> right, coloring right, book, right. kids. <laughs> I had never really thought about revisiting this film on The Incomparable, but then when it was pointed out that it was the 50th anniversary, I thought it would be kind of fun to do it. And I have fairly positive memories of watching it, and I enjoyed watching it. I, I had that moment where I was like, is this going to yeah. be a rocket yeah. surgery kind of thing? And then I watched it, I was like, no, this is a good movie. It's It's got yeah. its issues, yeah. and it's of its time, and all of that. But And, and, and yes, they're in the desert near Lake Powell for a, a long time. It's it's true, but there's a lot of fun stuff in there. And again, as a, a kid who grew up with Star Trek, it, it's got a lot of the same kind of vibes to it as that. And I, I like that. So um, I enjoyed revisiting it. And if uh, the people out there haven't uh, taken time to see the whole thing, they just watched that, you know, the, the Simpsons uh, musical version and haven't really uh, seen the original <laughs> ages, or they just saw, the, they just know the end. Uh, I think it's worth I think it's worth watching. It's a lot of fun. I can't speak to the oh, other totally. the other movies in the series. Um, although I definitely remember watching those on TV when I was a kid. But um, but uh, this one's fun. They are fascinating. Yeah. They are fascinating. The the fact that the second one is pretty much the the structure of the second one is solely because Charlton Heston only agreed to come back if they killed him. <laughs> so they killed everybody. Right. So he's like the supporting <laughs> supporting character in the sequel to his own movie. Right. Anyway, uh, it was fun to revisit this. Um, and I would like to thank my guests for revisiting the Planet of the Apes. Uh, revisiting the Planet of the Apes. That could be our next uh, our next movie title. Joe Steele, thank you. Thank you. I look forward to talking about the Planet of the Apes next time. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. I'm glad I was not on the wrong a wrong episode. No, that would be that would be bad. I, I think it's more likely we'll do an episode about the Ape British Bake Off or the Great <laughs> Apeish Bake Off. The Great British the great Ape British Off. British Bake Off on, on the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> the Apes. Okay, that's right. Uh, the Bake Off of the Planet of the Apes. Gene McDonald, thank you. Thank you for having me. I, I'm really glad that I got to watch this again and pay attention and not be afraid. <laughs> uh, David J. Lore, uh, human, human, human. What will we find <laughs> out there, Jason? Our destiny. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. And uh, 
John Moltz, ape, 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 ape. <laughs> Jason, I'd like to give you a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> and to everybody else out there, that completes my final report until we reach touchdown. We're now on full automatic in the hands of the computers. I've tucked my crew in for the long sleep, and I'll be joining them soon. This much is probably true. The men who sent us on this journey are long since dead and gone. You who are hearing me are a different breed. I hope a better one. I leave the 436th episode of The Incomparable with no regrets. 